episode 177, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season 4, episode 9, Broken Promises. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome to another episode of Welcome to Level 7. Welcome back, I should say. We've had a few weeks off. Uh, it is now 2017 and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is back on with their uh, second story arc. And we are back to talk about it. And when I say we, I mean me, Ben, Ben Avery, and Samantha, Samantha Payne. Welcome. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. Good. So it's 2017. And yes. No, yeah, it's 2017. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we put 2016 behind us, which is a horrible year. And I, I, I'm ready for a fresh start. How about you? Yeah, yeah. But you know... I just have a feeling that we're going to get to the end of this year and everyone's going to say, well, this is a horrible year because <laughs> the stuff that happened in 2016, that's just stuff that happens, you know? I mean, there's yeah weird things that come up, but that's always what happens. And people die, people get sick, people do crazy things. <laughs> it's going to happen. And yeah, so I... I 2016 that wasn't it wasn't bad it wasn't terrible it was a year and, and now we're in another one <laughs> and life goes on it's yeah it's true it does you know yeah I, I was just gonna say that there's there's some i'm not gonna go there i'm just gonna say life goes on and we go on with it and and if life is going on that means TV shows are in production. <laughs> That's yes. going on. <laughs> and that means we're going to talk about them. And so for right now, uh, you know, we've got a pretty interesting episode with a lot to talk about in it. And we've got a lot of news items to talk about. And we have one, one feedback email. So I think we should get started and just jump right in. Are you ready? Absolutely. Let's go. All right. Let's do it. Shield intelligence report. All right, so we're going to blast through this news and then we're going to park on the last item, okay? Okay. All right. So, news item. Uh, here's one. Agents of Shield season 4, which we're in right now, is going to have another story arc. So we're getting three story arcs. We get Ghost Rider, we get LMD, which has just started, and we get whoever knows I mean, we don't know, but we're going to have another story arc. I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be because we had eight episodes for the first round and that leaves uh, 14 episodes. So maybe, maybe it'll be seven and seven. I don't know. Maybe we'll see, but that's a news item. Any, anything to add to that news item? That means we are going to have a very fast paced season for the the remaining uh, thirteen episodes now, yeah, very yeah. fast paced. Well, and we'll we'll get to it, but this episode wasn't slow. No, it was not. <laughs> so. uh, the other thing that goes along with that 
is um uh Channing Dungy Dungy uh, just say it with confidence. All right, Daniel, I'm saying it with confidence. Channing Dungy uh spoke to Entertainment Weekly and said that they are incredibly encouraged by season four of Agents of Shield and the episodes are getting better and stronger and they're feeling really good about another season for Shield. Good. So good. We'll see. And then they're also saying there's room for Agents of Shield and Inhumans. And yeah, so before I move on to the next item after this, you got anything else to add to this one? Because like I said, we're blasting through. I think five seasons would at least would be appropriate. Yeah, I think that would yeah. I would feel good. Yeah. So along with that, we've got two uh, two more TV series, kind of. One is for Hulu. One is for Freeform, which used to be ABC Family on on cable. Uh, Cloak and Dagger and The Runaways are both set to begin production next month, according to Production Weekly, which seems to be a uh, industry news blog source that you can subscribe to, that, but you would never want to unless you're in the industry. <laughs> so. Yeah, because you have to pay to get in to see the information. Um, But they are saying that under the working title of Shadows and under the working title of Rugrats, I'll let you choose which one is which, but Cloak and Dagger and The Runaways are going into production starting next month. So I don't know what that means because it looked like last I had heard Cloak and Dagger was going to be January or February, but early 2018 before that actually started airing. Um, and then I also just read recently that the showrunner on Cloak and Dagger is just now finishing up. No, no, that wasn't Cloak and Dagger. It was, oh man, there's so many things going on because there's another series. Um, John Ridley is producing maybe that's in development still possibly, but no one knows what it is. And people are talking about that. The main guess is that it would be Ms. Marvel, but he's still working on the pilot episode script. That's what I okay. heard from, from that. So yeah, there's just so much going on right now with the MCU. And I've threatened it before changes are coming to the podcast so we can keep up, but it's not so much a threat anymore because it's reality. <laughs> We're going to have to make changes to accommodate. Yes, we are. And we're still figuring out some of those things, but yes. Um, what does that mean? It means, yeah, a little bit of stress on our side, but what does it mean on the other side? There's some pretty cool stuff happening. So Hulu getting into the Marvel game, cloak and dagger being on Freeform. I'm not sure how I'm going to watch that. If it's on Hulu, it might be Freeform stuff is on Hulu sometimes. So yeah. Okay. Anything more to say there? Uh, nope. Ready for the next item. Okay, next item. I'm putting three in one right now. Three in one. And I don't think you're going to care so much about these. Um, because they're comic book news, basically. Nick Fury is getting his own series. It's going to be called Nick Fury. <laughs> oh, I might want to dive into that one. Uh, and it <laughs> looks like it's, it's based on Nick Fury Jr. Uh, who is the Nick Fury who's based on Samuel Jackson instead of the 
um, James Bondish Nick Fury from from the sixties. Okay. Who? Yeah. I I might want to get into that one. The other one that's yeah. The other comic book news is that Marvel's also announced a Defenders series. But this Defender series will not be the Defenders series that I was a fan of or the other Defenders series that birthed the Defenders series that I was a fan of. But instead, this is the Defenders series with the Netflix roster. So they're, they're going to have a comic that will have Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Iron Fist and Luke Cage. And to that, I say, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> Why? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> if they don't do it, that's kind of silly. Um yeah, so there's that. And then also, by the way, did I mention R.L. Stein is writing Man Thing? I think we've talked about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yep. I'm looking forward to it, you guys. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so uh, this is one of those things that we've kind of let go uh, is the comic book coverage. Um, but I'm not sure. At some point, we're going to have to talk about some comic book stuff because they are doing a lot of tie-ins. And I did just see on the shelves – uh, it was last week. Um, the the Guardians of the Galaxy two Prelude comic, which looks like instead of being just an adaptation of Guardians of the Galaxy, which is one of the things that they've done before, um, it's actually new stuff. But I didn't take a close look at it yet. Okay. But that's actually MCU material in comic book form. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So sometimes those those are new stories like the the stuff that they did for the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie was actually a new story featuring a couple of the different characters before they they met in the movie. Um, but then sometimes it's like the Iron Man three prelude was Iron Man two in comic book form. So it Aww. just depends on <laughs> what kind of what kind of budget maybe they work with. I don't know. So. You know, sometimes you, you earn, you work hard for your money and you go in to look for a written version or what you're thought to be as a prelude to be something. And it turns out it's just the reiteration of an on-screen something that you've seen before and you get highly disappointed. I hate yes. that. And that has happened to Daniel and I as we have been doing coverage of MCU comics and just realizing, oh, wait. But the good thing that's come out of that is that they have in the graphic novels. Yeah. So the Iron Man three prelude graphic novel had Iron Man two in it, but it also had um, some other stories that went along with it uh, that were like classic stories from the Iron Man comic and, and different things like that. So, uh, okay. So those graphic novels are not bad uh, and they tend to be a cheaper purchase and so like the Ant-Man one, you're getting like the first appearance of Ant-Man. You're getting uh, some you know classic stuff like that. And you're also getting some stuff that appeared online. And yeah, so that's that's the comic book news. Arl Stein writing man thing. Yeah. And sometimes with these adaptations, um, you do get a detail or two that alters or expands um, a history that has yet to be explored yet throughout the series. Yeah. Well, that was one of the cool things with the Ant-Man MCU comic book, the prelude comic book, is it was the it was Hank Pym, a Hank Pym adventure. Oh, that yeah, that's different. And so we didn't get to see yeah. anything like that, just glimpses in the Ant-Man movie. 
And so, yeah, I, I love that they, they did that. It wasn't the greatest adventure. It wasn't like, you know, oh, I'm, my life has changed because I read this comic book kind of thing. Right. Uh, it's not going to win the Pulitzer, but it was fun. And it was a fun glimpse in the, into the past of, of that character. Good. Good. All right. Let's see. Moving on. We have, oh, I, I didn't look closely at this one. Idris Elba wants to be your <laughs> Valentine. This is one you sent us. Yeah. Cause uh, um, Stuart was it, compiling a list of all these links. And I just started clicking on them and bringing up tabs. <laughs> and this is one I think you had brought into the, the, the thread. Yeah. And it does mention him, um, in the MCU, but, um, he's doing a, um, donation based sweepstakes and the winner gets to have dinner with him on Valentine's. It's all paid. Um, but the money you enter into this sweepstakes goes all, all to charity. It was for, um, let me pull it up. Um, we can lead. Uh, which is a charity that supports um, uh, women in leadership roles in Africa. All right. <laughs> I'm not interested in the date. Um, no, but... but hey, if you're a guy, you can still enter. And I bet you, it would be a very fun evening I'm just sure... hanging out with Idris Elba, you know? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. I'd rather and hang I out with you, too. They, they, they're doing some, something very similar that like, oh, my goodness, that'd be so awesome. Hang out with Bono <laughs> and Julia Roberts. I don't care. And, you know, she can she can be with us, too. But I want to talk to Bono. Love to pick that guy's mind. Just ask him questions. Yeah, so, he is interesting. Yeah. Not that Idris Elba is not interesting. I'm just saying Bono I'd would be my hang, first choice. <laughs> so. I'd rather hang out with Idris Elba. Okay. I would. Yeah. He might intimidate me, though. I mean, I'm just looking at the picture of him holding that heart candy box. <laughs> and he's well, intimidating me, just looking at me like, really? Are you going to? Yeah. yeah. I, I feel well, like he's going to punch me or something. I don't know. No, actually, uh, if you watch the video, he's being very schmarmy. Is he? <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> And it, it's really hilarious to watch, but I mean, I, you know, I would, I would love to hang out with him. Um, he, he just seems like he's, he's a character himself and he's very charming and kind. So that's how he comes off towards me. Okay. Cause those eyes, man, they're, mm -hmm. they're staring at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving to my next tab. Okay. <laughs> Anything else with that? No, no. All right. So here's another one. Peter Dinklage is in talks, apparently. And I know Daniel and I go over back and forth. About, are we going to talk about something that's a rumor? But um, apparently there are talks happening and nobody knows what it's about. People are guessing who he might be. And yeah, but possibly going to be in Avengers Infinity War. Uh even if he's like replacing Iron Man, I would totally take it because Peter Dinklage, he is great in everything that I have seen him, him in. Um, now granted, um, Game of Thrones is not for me, so I haven't seen him in that, but, and I'm sure he does a fantastic job because I 
he has never, ever disappointed me. Yeah, I haven't seen Game of Thrones either, and but I, I hear he's he's great. Um, he of was course. In, he was in X Men: Days yeah. of Future Past, and he did a great job. But it just feels like, you know, yeah, yeah. He was in the X Men franchise, and yeah, and and this picture of him, he's just staring at me. <laughs> like, I think he's gonna punch me or something. Like, why are these intimidating men coming up in my my news tabs here? All right. Uh, there's not much well, more that with that, but well, photographically, men who are staring and who look intense are that's it's supposed to be much more appealing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's gonna throw that wine glass down at me and then punch me. <laughs> Maybe even punch me through the wine glass. I don't know. I'm moving on. Okay, I'm moving on. So, okay, apparently the character breakdowns from the casting call for Inhumans have been revealed and this is fun uh looking at this seeing what they have here um they've used code names for the characters uh at least from what i'm looking at on this um this website comicbook.com uh which apparently there's a video that someone put out where they they walked through this this casting list i did not watch the video but i was reading through this and this is cool they have uh this character called broderick Male, 30 to 40, can say volumes with just a look, strong and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Black Bolt. Uh, mm-hmm. So the Inhumans is, the comic book series tends to be about kind of the royal family of this pocket of superpowered humans who are maybe not xenophobic, but close to it. They stay away from the affairs of human humanity until they can't. And then they they come out of it. Uh, and the comics that I was familiar with, they had this area on the moon called the the blue area of the moon. It was just kind of their kingdom. And they got involved with Fantastic Four. And, and that's where they started out is Fantastic Four discovering these people. And you have different powers. And so with Black Bolt, he had the power of his speech is just super, super loud. So loud that if he talks in a regular atmosphere, it brings down buildings. Um, oh. so I'm very interested how they will portray that. One of my favorite comics featuring them was one that I had when I was a kid and Black Bolt is talking to Crystal, who is a younger person from, from the Inhumans. He flies her off to the edge of the blue area of the moon where the atmosphere is super, super thin. And then he whispers stay to her and it blows her back a bunch of, you know, like a dozen yards or whatever. Because there's still so much power, even in that, that low, low atmosphere. But it was just wow. this really powerful, interesting character moment that just stuck with me and sticks with me. So anyway, that's Black Bolt. Marjorie is a female, 30 to 40, <laughs> elegant and intelligent advisor to her husband. She struggles to find her place out of the relationship as others tend to view her as just a pretty face. Strong and resourceful, she's not afraid to break the rules when the situation demands it. This is Medusa. And Medusa has, um, she's married to Black Bolt and has the ability to uh, control her hair. And it's, it's, it's like another extension of herself. And so she has this really long hair that she can use to grab things and throw things and punch people with hairballs and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so that's Medusa. Maximus, they call him Marty. <laughs> 
Broderick's <laughs> Broderick's younger brother, intelligent, charming, and articulate. But in the comics, he's Maximus the Mad. And the ones that I'm familiar with is he's trying to get power away from his his brother. And he has mental powers. Uh, there's Kevin, a male 30 to 40 years old, uh, slight of build. His mind is his greatest asset. and He's always prepared with a plan. Um, this, they, they believe, is Karnak, who is a strategist of the family. Um, he, he knows martial arts. And he's able to, like, think, um, think through, you know, any plan and, and see um you know chinks in the plan and uh he's he's really i mean he's got a really powerful brain then you have gorgon uh who he's kind of weird they call him grady um gorgon is really really strong and he has like um uh i don't think they're horse legs kind of goat legs or bull legs or something like that he can create like earthquakes with them because he stomps so hard and yeah that's yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's the muscle of the group christine yeah go ahead (laughs) i was gonna say i'm so far i'm not impressed with the creativity with these code names that the production is using for the casting (laughs) well i think they're just trying to use names that they'll recognize but it's not i I don't know why they're using code names honestly (laughs) because unless they're they had a code name for the and i haven't watched the video so i don't know they may have had a code name for the inhumans series itself as well and then people just looked at it and figured out oh this is inhumans um but you have christine who's a 18 25 year old female uh she's soulful but still learning the ways of the world it has arrogance of youth and she's deeply devoted to her family and crystal is actually one that in fantastic four she she and human torch got involved with each other mm. and she would leave and and that like i said that was one of those things in that comic was was it, it was black bolt asking her to stay then finally you have triton who <laughs> is uh will be there'll be makeup applications to make him look alien because these are humans and so they there is a physical transformation as well and they describe him as supremely athletic, the ultimate picture of cool, calm under pressure and willing to do anything to get the job done. But if you want to know what he looks like, just think creature from the black lagoon. And, and that's who you've got. <laughs> he's super cool, but creature from the black lagoon. Yeah. You know, he's got webbed uh-huh. fingers and, and fins growing out of his body in different places to help him, you know, swim. He can breathe underwater and, and all that. So I don't know if, you know, the article here, they say, don't expect him to get that fishy. Um, but there will be some makeup effects with him. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've generally found, um, with the exception of when I was six years old and the little mermaid came out. Um, I, I generally find, um, aquatic based characters to not be that appealing until, uh, the trailer came out a few months ago featuring Aquaman for one of the DC yeah, the, movies. The new Justice oh. League movie. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that changed my mind. <laughs> um, um, I have friends who they run the podcast, uh, Samantha and Malik over at Supernatural The Road so far. Um, and uh, they have a rule that 
uh, they only mention that they find somebody sexy or appealing once. And here I am. I, I think I'm going to apply this rule myself here on this podcast, <laughs> just to be fair. But yeah, I, I found that version of Aquaman to be very appealing. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> interesting to see what they do with him, what they actually do with him. But he's a huge part of things. I was really surprised. I mean, I'm a big Aquaman fan. I like the character a lot. Uh, I was really surprised he was going to be a featured player in this thing. So, yeah, yeah I think uh, they sort of went for a Vikings sort of look for him. And I think that was especially with the show Vikings um, that's on the History Channel right now. I think that's a very smart move for them. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the news. I think it's time for us to move to the episode yes yes let's 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 go mission report all right samantha broken promises there are some promises that were made in this episode and there were some promises that were broken in this episode and then there were some promises that were made then broken and then fulfilled in a most horrible horrible way (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) actually I mean that that was I was trying to figure out like there's the the a parallel storyline going on here with uh VJ and Ada uh two newer characters but I was trying to figure out like what are the parallels there but there there really is those two characters kind of dealing with the people around them one of them dealing with evil people around them and the other one dealing with good people around them and one being good and one being evil or one being essentially good. I don't know VJ. I, I don't know where he's going to end up. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Well, I, I thought I knew and then I didn't. And then I thought I knew again and then I didn't again. So <laughs> this VJ guy, uh, I'm glad we're going to, well, I mean, we're spoiling the episode, but I, I'm glad we're going to see him again. At least I'm assuming we are, but I thought we were going to lose him and then nope. And then, yep. And then nope. Nope. So yeah. So our, our, uh, um, the, the, the cold open, we have Ada caring for May and cleaning her up and saying, I must keep you hidden. I must keep you a secret until your substitute served her purpose. And then we have Mace and the team saying we must safely dispose of the dark hold and Colson saying we must erase Ada's hard drive. And we have Mac saying, you guys need to watch more movies. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is again, maybe this is the cycle that we're getting into this joke with, with Mac and all his movies. It was funny. And then it stopped being funny. And then it was totally funny again. Cause they just kept it going and it's one of those things. It sometimes can work in comedy. You go to the well three times, you know, but then sometimes you can go to the well more than three and people start not liking the joke, but it just, you just keep going at it and they're going to start laughing at it again. That's what happened here is because he just <laughs> kept going. Hey, Hey, how about this movie? Hey, how about this one? And man, he drops so many geeky references. Uh, I couldn't believe how many places he went. Um, Blade Runner, uh, Terminator, and then <laughs> Yo-Yo with her Terminator joke. Good grief. That was really funny. Um, 
where oh with salvation yeah like, yeah <laughs> somebody needs to make radcliffe watch all the terminator movies and because he had created this this robot you know and and max says even salvation and and yo-yo says he must atone for what he's done so yeah there's some good stuff going on there but that's that's our cold open uh it sets everything up may is not where you know she she the real may is locked in a closet uh and and basically on life support uh looks like they're giving her um like food intravenously or something like that and we got to get rid of the dark hold the evil book not magic book it's a science book but it's a science book that can read your mind and give uh artificial intelligence actual artificial intelligence and show you the secrets of the universe. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I should go ahead and jump to the end. Um, uh, why not? About that. Um, well, well, I, well yeah. I was going to say, um, Stuart and I were wrong. Um, Ada was out for evil. Or was she being used as a tool? Because, again... Um, they keep saying she's not a she, she's an it, which technically, yeah. Um, here's, here's the thing. She, she, she can be used for good and evil. Um, she can not necessarily, I, I think until, um, uh, the dark hold had touched her or she had read the dark hold that she really did not have any sort of, um, accountability for her own. Here's the weird thing with that. This is another one of those things where I thought I was we were going in one direction. Uh this is the one that that kind of this is the one that caused me to stumble a little bit on this episode is you have Ada and you think she's doing one thing and then it turns out she's doing something else. You think she's doing all this uh independently, but then right. it turns out you have Radcliffe is behind her on this because Radcliffe is using her to get the dark hold. And it actually wasn't Ada. It was an Ada. It was an LMD. It was a, it was a, uh, a L M D. It was an artificial life model decoy that was being sent. So it was, a uh, you know, Ada had her own, fake version of herself that was sent in and so ada is still there with radcliffe which that didn't surprise me at all that the ada had a, a second body it just surprised me that it was radcliffe pulling the evil strings or was it and and that was just kind of one twist too many for this episode. yeah yeah um so i i think right now we will just for as far as that twist goes i think we just have to wait and see where it goes yeah, absolutely. The The bottom line I think we can all agree on is Radcliffe and Ada both were affected by the Darkhold. And, right. and now they want the Darkhold. And so whether it's Radcliffe who is using Ada or Ada who is using Radcliffe's uh, desire to get the book so she can get it for herself, you know... I, I don't know yet which which direction to go with that, but yeah, I think you're right. It is a wait and see on on that. But yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Um, yeah, you know, maybe we don't need to go through step by step and beat by beat on the episode because then we have the VJ plot. Um, we have VJ who was in the cocoon for seven months, which is totally unusual. He's the one that when Simmons came in and she was talking to him, that's what kind of pulled him out. He remembers his sister talking to him and and saying, it's going to be okay, come on out. But then he also remembers, I mean, his backstory is that his mother was killed in the Chitauri act attack on, on New York. And that's when he and his sister, Ellen, Senator Nadir, um, promised each other, if you ever were infected by the alien virus, we would do the right thing for each other. And that's meaning, you know, it's a suicide pact, basically. Yeah. So let's talk about VJ a little bit. What do you, what are you thinking here? Cause um. this one, like I said, the Radcliffe thing was one twist too many. This one was not for me. This one, I went along with every twist and even though I didn't like and would never approve of what Senator Nadir did to her brother, uh, at the same time, story-wise, it felt it felt right. It was setting her up nicely for who she is and what she is. Right. And um, she, I, I think at one point in one of their scenes, they... They um, they mentioned that um, VJ was infected, so they're operating from basically being very naive about what the Inhumans are. They don't realize that this is a genetic trait and not necessarily a virus or something like that. Although the leader of the the Watchdog guys that was there, he kind of looks at Senator Nadir and is like, you know, who are you and what are you? Because if it is a genetic thing, she could be an inhuman. And he was telling her, you know, we have ways to find out if you're an inhuman. We can find out very quickly if you're an inhuman. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So he was threatening her. Yeah. Yeah. And they totally do call it the virus, but I'm, I'm wondering if they actually think it's a virus or if that's more of a metaphorical, you know, you've been infected by something that's changed you. And cause if he had not been exposed, then he would have just gone on living his life and she wouldn't have, you know, shot him in the stomach. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's, this is, let's go through the twists here. So he's with her and it's this peaceful house. And then, we see that the watchdogs are there and in my notes, I wrote, are they working with Nadir when they show up in act two? And then uh, in act three, we find out pretty quickly they are not working or they, they are working with Nadir. deer there. So I wrote in my notes, I wasn't very smart. I thought I was smart, but <laughs> I'm not um, because as they're going, uh, Senator Nadir is, assistant calls them because Simmons is trying to get in to see Senator Nadir and find out where she is. And the guy recognizes Simmons as the scientist who worked on, on VJ. So then as, um, Ellen and VJ go for a walk in the woods, 
the watchdogs come out and they're going to shoot him, which if you look at the line of fire for the guy's gun, this was not a good situation. He has his gun to the back of Nadir's neck or not a deer uh, to the back of uh, VJ's neck. And Ellen Nadir is standing right in front of him <laughs> thinking that bullet is going to go mm. right through <laughs> the boy and right into her. But um, he's saying, don't, don't, don't kill me. Don't kill me. I haven't had any powers. I look at me, look at me. I'm normal. And she's, she says, fine, I'll let you go. Breaking the promise because they had promised each other this, the suicide pact and also breaking the agreement she had with the watchdog guy. And then it turns out he does have powers because they come in to kill him anyway, being sent in by someone called the superior, which is something we can talk about. And they are going to kill him anyway. And he has, he's basically has speeder speedster powers. He can move a lot faster than anyone else and is able to go around and punch everyone before they even know that he's coming. And yeah, so then it turns out he does have powers. Then I'm thinking, so this is when Mace and Simmons and Daisy come to confront them about you know, getting him out of there. And VJ doesn't go with them. He goes with his sister into a helicopter with two of the watchdogs who just had guns pointed at him twice to kill him. And I'm thinking, well, that's not a good idea. And then it turns out it's not a good idea, but not because of those two guys. So as soon as Ellen realizes that VJ has powers, she's oh, he's inhuman. He is one of the problems that is similar to the problem that took our mother shoots the guy in the belly and then they they drop him into the water and we'll talk about our post credit scene. But what do you, what do you think about Senator Nadir here? I I think she illustrates um a group of people who they only see other groups of people one way in a very very narrow perspective but and they have no clue at all about the wider perspective of how how the inhumans fit into the human species and how they fit into the universal species uh, you know into the universe as a whole mm-hmm. um and I think if she knew all that, that she would understand. And I don't think she would necessarily, um, she would necessarily feel that way if she knew the whole picture. But obviously, she's very narrow-minded. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I mean, unfortunately for her, hit close to home. I'm curious why, if this is how she was feeling, she didn't have him destroyed earlier. I, when he was in the cocoon. Well, he was in the cocoon for seven months. I'm wondering if she did try to destroy the cocoon and it, you know, going back to the, um, was it the end credit scenes? Um, if the cocoon had rebuilt around him to protect him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because the other reason might be possibly, okay, this is our opportunity to to study this thing and find out as much as we can to you know, destroy inhumans or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's possible that that cocoon was a protective thing for him. Maybe part of his mutation 
in the cocoon it's... is to create new cocoons to protect him because it clearly is to, is protecting him in the water in the in the end credit scene to protect and possibly heal him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to see where they go with VJ. Yeah, um, me too. I I do think that uh, Senator Nadir is a good, uh, a good antagonist, and you know a different antagonist. She's actually in the government, um, but she's not. I was about to say she's not like working with a, a shadowy organization like Shield, but she or but like Hydra, but she kind of is because I don't know who is behind Watchdogs. I thought she was. But now there's this person they're calling the superior, which feels very Hydra. Yeah, very. Um, my goodness, who was that character from season one? The clairvoyant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. or very Ku Klux Klan, too. Yeah. You know, just calling him the superior. I mean, anyone who names themselves the superior. I mean, there's there's some reality issues they need to deal with. Um it's just like why would why would Reed Richards call himself Mister Fantastic? Like, <laughs> hey, we need superhero names. I'm Mister Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little ego stroking there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Superman is yeah. is one thing. Mister Fantastic is a whole nother level. There. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Doctor Strange earned being a doctor. Right. And uh, his last name is actually Strange. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Captain America, he was a captain in the military. And uh, that that name was given to him, but mm-hmm. he earned that role, too. Yeah. And then you get to some, like, Doctor Doom. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you expect egomaniacal uh, behavior from someone like that who you know, is setting himself up as the emperor of a nation. Um, yeah. Doctor Doom. Sure. Okay. All right, but Mr. Fantastic, like, doesn't really? he? Doesn't, yeah. <laughs> really? Oh, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it's anyway. a little ego stroking. Anyway, so, yeah, the superior, I don't know what this is. I'm curious, though. I, I like the way that they dropped hints. Um, and, and like I said, this, all the different twists and turns that this took felt very earned. And felt emotional. Uh, I mean, she did not want to kill her brother. She did not want to put the bullet in his stomach. Uh, but he was the enemy. And he had been infected. And, and in some ways, maybe she felt like she was doing him a favor. But in other ways, I think she might have been doing this because, you know, he is the thing I have been set up against. And I've set myself up against this thing. And this this kind of thing took our mother and yeah. But then she turns it back around on the watchdog guy and says, don't you ever question me again because I'm committed. <laughs> and yeah, but she's saying it in tears. I mean, there's, there's tears coming down uh, her cheeks as she's saying this. And I'm thinking that's really interesting. This show of strength that she's doing with the watchdog guy, but at the same time, the emotional, vulnerability that she cannot hold back because she just killed her brother. She is a murdering murderer who murders and I don't like her, but I like her. Yeah. Um, have you seen the man in the high castle? Yes. One of the characters, uh, is Ober Gruppenführer. 
John Smith. <laughs> um, he's a Nazi commander. Uh, actually, Obergruppenführer literally means high group leader. Um, uh, he has a son, you know, he's a Nazi, and he has a son who has a degenerative disease. And in the Nazi tradition, um, people with these d- diseases, um, they are euthanized. And he is put at conflict because he is this high-ranking leader in the, in the Nazi military. And and yet he's forced to kill his own child. And I think that's... yeah, Which, that's which what, yeah. we're not spoiling anything because the conflict goes beyond what you just said. And it right. goes into yes. some very interesting directions. And yeah, that was probably the part of the, the second season that gripped me the most was, yeah. was watching him deal with the revelations and watching him deal with the expectations. And oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And asking myself, yeah. I mean, because culturally, I mean, it's just this is what we do. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I think that's a really good um, a connection there with with her with Senator Nadir and Obergruppenheimer, Gruppen, not Gruppenheimer, Obergruppenfuhrer, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Smith. So. Yeah, well, it's this this conflict of here's my previous belief, and I'm acting on it, or I might act on it. I have to act and on it for him, ver- yeah. I have to act on it, but versus, you know, here's this previously held belief, and then you actually get there, you have to act on it, and you are feeling conflicted. And that's that's where the story gets really interesting, is that con- that inner conflict. Yeah, yeah, there's, I mean, and I can feel it in myself, too. I mean, where maybe, I remember when I was a kid, and I would, like, lie to my parents and then have to decide, am I going to commit to this thing or not? And if, <laughs> and if you commit to it, then you, you just go all out, you know, go or go all in, I guess. And, or just, you're right. I, I, I lied. <laughs> and uh, now I have to face the consequences. I'm going to be grounded and I can't, you know, hang out with my friends on the weekend or something. But, um, and that's what she's doing here. She's committing to it. I mean, she, she's made the choice earlier all right, I'm going to take the chance that you are not changed. And then it turns out he is. And now she's committed to it. She said, I'm in, I'm all in. And it's also similar with some of the stuff with uh, Rogue One, where you see some of the rebels uh, going out and doing things that aren't good guy things. But right. they've they've gone all in. And then they're looking at, okay, so if we, if we lose the rebellion and the rebellion disbands, what does that mean for all the things we've just done? <laughs> yeah. That makes them criminals with, you know, well, and, and they, they are looking at moral, uh, moral choices that they've made that are more gritty than Luke Skywalker would have made. <laughs> yeah. So, Yeah. So that's that's VJ and and his sister and it's unfortunate. So let's see. Yeah. If we go over to maybe Mace, um Mace and oh, his Mace. <laughs> his little meetings and, and his mission. Mace is Mace is teaming up with Daisy and Simmons. 
and they are trying to find VJ and they're going to rescue VJ and they are going to go and, and they do this thing. They go to the, the house and they get kicked out of uh, Senator Nadir's house. They go back in when they hear a gunshot and they try and convince VJ to go with them. He doesn't go with them, although he is tempted to because he remembers Simmons and then they leave. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the mace, the mace thing that's going on. And I'm very curious what's going on with mace. He has a picture of himself uh, from a, I'm going to call it a cut scene from Captain America Civil War. It's not really a cut scene, but it's, it's something that happened off camera uh, in the terrorist attack uh, at, at the, the UN meetings in, in, uh, oh, what was, what city was it in? Was it in Sokovia? I can't remember. Sokovia? I, I can't remember, but it was, uh, with the, the bomb attack and he apparently helped someone and he has a picture oh. of himself. He has a picture of himself helping someone from the attack in civil war and, uh, he's oh. keeping it on his wall in his office. And oh, I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's, it's the Sokovia Accords that they're getting ready to sign right. into, into place. Uh, it's some people from Wakanda who are there. So that's where we are getting to see black, black, not black widow, black Panther uh, in there, but it wasn't happening in Wakanda. So anyway, anyways, yeah. So he was a hero apparently there and he put the picture up on his wall and he has a conversation with Daisy uh, about what they're going to do now. They're partners now. We're together now. I saved you. And Daisy says, you saved face. And, and uh, Daisy, you know, Mace is saying, you, you're, you're, we're, we're a team now. And we go on missions together. And Daisy says, I never carry a weapon. And Mace says, you are the weapon. And they have a little back and forth about team and trust and their places on the team and getting people to trust them. And uh, Daisy. Isn't there a moment? I'm sorry. Isn't there a moment here where he calls her Quake and she's like, don't call me Quake? Yeah, he's he yeah. calls her. Well, no, it was the guy who came to get her, I think, who said. Oh, OK. Yeah, he because she's working with Simmons investigating VJ to find out about him. And then um, the guy comes and says, uh, hey, Quake, uh, agent or not agent, uh, director Mace wants to see you. And she says, I'm not Quake. And he says, well, the newspapers are calling you Quake. So you're Quake. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So she wants to go on a mission to go after the watchdogs. And he's saying, well, no, we're going to go rescue uh, this VJ, you know, the Nadir's brother. And and so they know who we need to find out who he is. Maybe Simmons can. And Simmons did already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And she, you can just see Daisy's like, yep, you're speaking my language now. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's go and rescue this guy because this is, this is the kind of thing she signed up for. Um, yeah. So there's, there's more back and forth with them, uh, later on, but that's, that's the gist of it. And <laughs> so, uh, you in our Facebook thread, as we were talking about getting ready for this episode started actually like having commentary about this episode. I said, save it for the show, but 
what what were you gonna say about uh, Mace Mason Daisy? <laughs> uh, it's not Mason Daisy. It's Mason Simmons. Mason Simmons. Oh, okay. I think Mace has a little crush on her. <laughs> it's like a little schoolboy crush. Like he's gonna like come in after recess and pass her a note. Do you like me? Yes or no? I mean, it's. <laughs> And and he's trying to be very kind of smooth about it, but he looks at her, and I'm like, "Oh, you have such an adorable little schoolboy crush on her." <laughs> I did not see that at all. I did not and, see that at all. And now I want to go back and watch the earlier episodes this season to see if you know <laughs> their and in, in, their interactions of you know if I can see any of the little sparks and beginnings of that. <laughs> but especially when they were on. The three of them were on the plane, um, the Quinjet, and they were talking. I could see it in his eyes that Hmm. he he really has a thing for her. Well, you know, I mean, I I, there is some love talk going on there. Like, I'm sorry, I put a bag over your head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that's that's when I realized it when he said that. I'm like, he's apologizing to her. (laughs) It was an awkward apology. It was definitely an awkward apology. It was not a. Like, I need to get this said because, you know, we have a professional working relationship here. And so, you know, just that, yeah, I, I did something and I know you didn't like it. Sorry about that. Now, are you on my side? You know, it wasn't yeah. that. It was awkward. Uh, but I did not see sparks. And so I'm it curious was... because I know you don't like Mace. So you're not shipping this, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm I'm just shipping it as far as it's uh, as comedic. <laughs> okay, all right. So I'm laughing at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't like Mace. You are the anti-Mace mm-hmm. League over there. Um, I still like the guy, and nothing happened in this episode to make me say I don't like him. The photo of himself in his office. Um, okay, that, that that's something yeah. that uh, it doesn't make me not like him though. <laughs> It's you know back to the whole, you know, maybe he's the kind of guy who would call himself Mr. Fantastic. Okay, maybe. But he hasn't done it yet. So. It was kind of egocentric. Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. But I don't like it. I don't dislike him yet. I still don't dislike him. He's just he, he and he's lacking social graces. That's that's I I'm not saying he's egocentric. I'm saying he has that picture up there because he doesn't know it's not socially acceptable to put the glamour shot of you saving someone on your on your wall although i do know people who are like that um oh so you're saying that underneath that that um in control exterior of a politician he's this nerdy geek who's just trying to be cool with the cool kids yeah yeah he's he's like me okay (laughs) where you know when i go to work and i i my background is not in management. My background is in education and my background is in, um, you know, cause I'm, I'm a children's pastor. So my, my background is in storytelling. My background is in biblical studies and those kind of things. My background is not in management, but I, I am a manager of a handful of people and I, I try to exude confidence so that they'll be confident in me. But at the same time, I, a lot of times I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and and I think maybe that's him. Maybe that that's him. He's. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna fake it till I make it. You know, <laughs> that that's probably yeah. completely 
completely untrue about the character. But um, I, I, I still don't think he's a bad guy. I, I think he's, he's misunderstood and, and that soon you will understand him and it'll be okay. Well, and, I do appreciate that with this little crush that I, I am seeing that, you know, they are fleshing him out and they are giving him some depth that he, he seemed to be lacking in the first part of the season. And I'm hearing some warmth in your voice as you're talking about him. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I will say this. I am willing to let him warm to me. But they really, I just, I think that's maybe why I didn't like him so much was because he just seemed kind of two-dimensional. That, you know, he was just this politician who was going to play his little games and be a politician. Um, So, yeah, I think that's what they're trying to do here. And it's done very subtly. And it's done entirely through his body language. And do you remember what I told you about him uh, in the comics that yes. he was someone who actually put on the Captain America costume while Steve Rogers was frozen. Yes. But also he was called the Patriot. Do you know what the next episode's title is? The Patriot. The Patriot. <laughs> so I think we'll get some background stuff. And I'm really excited to either see him embrace a superhero identity or to see that he had a superhero identity in the past. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have any secret insider knowledge, but those are the two things I'm hoping one of those things we we get out of this just because in some ways it just expands our MCU a little bit more with a C-lister character. And I'm a fan of C-list characters and like man thing. Okay. Well, you know, if I've mentioned that character way too many times this time around, so, (laughs) um, if they want to change my mind, I am totally open to it. I do not like hating anybody. I do not like hating characters. Um, you know, going over to the Netflix series, I actually like Kingpin as a character because they have fleshed him out. They have shown his his background and his history, which is just tragic. And he did make some poor choices, but he entertains me as a character. And I find him intriguing. Where... Mace in the first part of the season did not, he was not intriguing, intriguing to me. And, uh, I was not (laughs) connecting with him at all as an audience member. Well, hopefully you will. We'll see. Hopefully, I, I just, I, I do. I, I hope that he is going to end up being a, a good character that we like. And, and so far for me, I'm holding out that hope. So, and it all goes back to that one page of a comic book that didn't even, he wasn't even in a story in that comic book that I had when I was a kid, but <laughs> he was there. And now that I realize he was there, I, I, I'm rooting for him. So, okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the shield headquarters. Then uh, Ada is invading. She's going to come and she's going to take the dark hole. Then they realize uh, that this is going to happen because when Fitz and Radcliffe go in to get Ada and erase her hard drive. And, oh, I didn't even think about this because this casts a whole new light on things. Radcliffe goes to shut Ada down and she doesn't shut down. And he acts like what's happening here. Well, that's an act. Now we understand 
that was all an act as he was, tr- you know, he, she puts her head down and acts like she's been shut down. And then she lifts her head up as Fitz is coming and she's saying, Leopold, stay away from me. And I want to live. And she tosses him through the room. And I, what was he just pressing buttons for effect? Was he even trying? No. Why, why would he try? That's very, I mean, he, he would try. He would want it to look like he's trying so that our team thinks he's still on their side. But I didn't even think about that. Or she could have been pre-programmed. I think if I were in his place, I would have pre-programmed her to react that way. Yeah, um, I think it's all yeah. either pre-programmed or you know ordered or ordained ahead of time. Where he said, "Look, we're we're going to come. We're going to come, and they want to wipe your hard drive. So this is how it's going to play out." But he was all a part of that. That was a, or maybe it was her plan, but whatever their relationship, whatever the dynamic is between which one is, you know, the alpha and which one is the beta, as far as leadership goes, um, that was all planned ahead of time. And interesting, huh? I hadn't even thought about that. So yeah, so there they are. And she disappears. And then they realize she's going to come to here to get the dark hold because she wants to live. That's what that that's what Radcliffe is saying. We, we have to figure out what Ada wants. Well, I know what she wants. She wants to live. She wants the dark hold so she can uh you know be immortal. And so she is now infiltrating. She takes over the base. They have to reboot the system and take it offline. And so they do some shenanigans with old computers and Yay. <laughs> I love seeing the that. Floppy discs. We, oh my gosh. We um we had uh when I was growing up, we had a computer like that and uh we used to play uh, we had a whole pack of games that were operated entirely on those 6-inch floppy discs oh, back when they were actually floppy. Oh man, I have some good memories of those games. Oh, and you had to load up one and if you wanted to turn it yeah, over it, and continue the load. Yeah. And... <laughs> yeah. If you, if you wanted to do anything on this computer, you had to insert a disc. Oh, and you had to wait. And right. Wait. <laughs> the only thing that was worse was when you had to wait and wait for the, the ones where the, the program was on the cassette. <laughs> you put oh, it gosh. in and you had to wait <laughs> and wait as it plays through the entire cassette. Mm-hmm. And, oh, Oh man. And those computer disks were so they were, you're right. They're, they, I mean, they were flop, called floppy disks for a reason. Um, I mean the three and a quarter floppy disks were floppy disks because what was inside the hard shell. Uh, but yeah. right. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was fun to see the old tech. And then that whole, with, with the confrontation with her, with Fitz and Radcliffe. And, oh, oh, can we, can we go back for a sec with the old computers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have heard that in the spy world, if you really want to save something on a computer, uh, on a disc, and to keep, and the best way to keep it from being uh, corroded by viruses really is to use, and the best way to keep people from hacking in mm-hmm. to the system you're using is to use the older technology because hardly anyone has the older technology anymore. Yeah, and I have seen some places. 
um, like power, uh, power. Uh, oh, I don't know what you, why well, I'm losing, losing my mind right now, but um, company, the, the power control station uh, mm-hmm. where they use like Commodore 64s to, to run it because it still works and they'd have to retrofit everything with to use new computers and so they're using these old right. old old computers and just continuing to fix the old computers and and keep them running um and then there are a, apparently a just a ton of old CIA files that are on old floppy disks that I can believe that yeah, yeah and you know as they pull out and use them I'm I'm assuming they would transfer them to a new uh, medium but Maybe, or maybe they have somebody who's a IT expert whose sole job is to make sure that these computers are still functioning. Well, I'm sure they do. I, yeah. I mean, well, and they'd have to if you're going, even if you're going to transfer it to a new form, a, a new format. You're you're going to have to have something that works that you can use to do the the transferal. Right. You need, you need someone like Fitz. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he gets the job done. And there are plenty of people out there who would happily be in that position, um, you know, not to noodle through secret government files, but, you know, just to be dealing with the older technology. It's it's like um, how, you know, there are some mechanics who specifically love working on vintage cars. Yeah. Well, and I can't speak exactly to what we're talking about with, with that, but I do know of people who are still programming new games that can be run on the Atari 2600. Oh, wow. (laughs) Just, just because that's what they grew up with and you can, yeah, uh, it's, it's really, really interesting to me that I had a friend a a while back who that was something that he did as his, his main hobby was programming Atari 2600 games. And then they would actually like do a, a a small run of cartridges that you could, uh, order. And so they make like 30 and then sell them for like $50 each or something like that. But it's a really fascinating little corner of uh, a corner of a niche, you know, where very few people are actually there, but the ones that are there are totally into it. Yeah. I, I actually have a friend who he's going for his doctorate in computer science, something to do with the computer sciences field. And he uploaded on Facebook um, a video that of um, a program that he created from scratch and I think the assignment was to basically completely recreate the Frogger game. And it was so cool to see. It was very eight bit. Um, uh, There you didn't see cars. You just see, saw these blocks of colors passing back and forth. Um, And then you have the river and it was just really interesting to see. So, I mean, that technology is also still being taught. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then that style of gaming is coming back with with your mobile devices, right? And, and yeah. to do those quick, quick and easy games that are, you know, they're they're casual. You know, they're not the in depth motion picture style um, <laughs> television miniseries length type of game, right? So. Yeah, like I have Oregon Trail on my iPhone <laughs> because I played it when I was a kid. Yeah. So I paid the $4 to play it on my iPhone <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> and I still die every time of dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of dying, 
uh, Ada. Was that a surprise? Because yeah. <laughs> she can't hack into any system because it's offline. And so she is stuck and she gets conf- con- there's she's confronted by Fitz and Radcliffe. Well, we thought Radcliffe May and Colson. We're going to have to talk about May. And then as they're trying to basically uh, Kirk her and kind of talk her down and appeal to her logically because, you know, Fitz and Radcliffe are kind of both on the same side, at least that she's a person. Uh, Mac just cuts through the garbage and cuts through her neck. (laughs) So he's cutting through garbage metaphorically uh, by literally using his ax rifle to cut off her head. I did not see that coming. Neither did she. He was the one that brought up Terminator. I mean, he, he's the one who kept saying, look, you're the ones you you didn't watch movies. You know, he, he, (laughs) he brings up Terminator. He brings up Blade Runner. He brings up Johnny five. (laughs) He brings up maximum overdrive. So. Wow. Maximum overdrive is the Stephen King directed movie about a comet. I, I'm trying to remember the reason I thought it was like a comet or something, but basically machines are coming to life. And so you have a group of people who get caught, uh, in, in a small diner that's being surrounded by these semi trucks that are driving around. But here's where we get a little bit meta because the primary truck that's driving around these people and and threatening them is it's it's basically like like sharks you know swimming around the victims right the primary truck has green goblin on it on it as a face and the idea is oh i missed that yeah yeah and so the the idea is it puts a face on the trucks because there's no one driving them and already trucks usually you know i don't know about you but when i look in my rearview mirror and see some trucks i see a face yeah, I do. I see transformers. <clears throat> yeah, but this, <laughs> this, okay. So what does this if, if mean? If there's any indicate, I mean, if you have not picked up yet that I was a small child in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> but here's here's the thing I'm getting at is, this is the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Spider Man is a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. So presumably, Green Goblin. While he may not be in action, he will be, I'm presuming, a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But Green Goblin was on a truck in Maximum Overdrive. So what does this mean? That a fictional character appeared in a place, in a universe, where he would be. Or would be I real, think, I guess. I mean, but yeah. What I does this think mean? There was somebody there who is a giant film nerd and just, you know, had to be super meta. And <laughs> or just that's what it was. I think. didn't think it through. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sh- I, I am positive. Somebody thought that through. I'm absolutely positive because otherwise, why would it be there? Well, I mean, you know? it. it, it it's the one thing that doesn't really match up with all the other ones he's talking about. Uh, Lawnmower Man. 
which is about computers taking over the world. Uh, the robot apocalypse. These are all things that have to do with robots that he's talking about in the robot apocalypse. Maximum overdrive is not the robot apocalypse. It is technology and machines uprising against us, but it's not brought on by the hubris of man who have created, uh, you know, sentient beings or accidentally, like in the case of short circuit with Johnny five who had, it was struck by lightning and it caused his, his programming to get rewritten. Oh, Johnny five. Johnny five is alive. I loved that movie so much when I was a kid and, and I watch it now and I'm like, okay, you know, where's Joel and, 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 and Crow and Tom Servo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Mac, clearly he is just like us, huge nerd film buff, likes movies, likes bad movies. Apparently (laughs) yo-yo, she's sticking right there with him, you know, with, with some of her lines. I mean, we, we do have whoever's writing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whoever is writing this is definitely having fun with that and having fun with the whole robot apocalypse thing, which it's true. You know, we, we, we've talked about this, but, um, you know, Tony Stark created Ultron. I mean, we're talking about, okay, in the world that they live in, you've had robots uprise and let alone all the movies from the eighties and, and nineties. Yeah. So, yeah. I I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying all that stuff with Mac. And then just the, the one, just the, the capper is when he decapitates her. And yeah. And then I think just the button, just that, that final moment where Fitz is, has Fitz has Ada's head on the table there. And we, we get the chopping mall one, which is another movie, uh, another horror movie about robots uprising. But <laughs> he mentions small wonder, small oh, wonder, which I don't know. Is that I'm writing? I didn't. I don't know that one. I have to write that one down. Don't. It's not a movie. It's a TV show. It's about. Oh, a so scientist. I find it anywhere. <laughs> it's, I, I think it's on Hulu. Uh, it's, it's on, uh, it was on like Saturday afternoons. It was, a uh, syndicated TV show in the eighties about a scientist who creates a robot girl and brings her home to be his adopted daughter. And she's best friends with his real son. Um, but she's a robot. She's not real. And the boy is real. But they become friends and hilarity oh, ensues. <laughs> I think I do remember that one. For, for, I don't know, the first couple of seasons, she always wore this red dress with an apron. And, yeah, I do remember that one now. Yeah, that was and, a weird show. And then she finally was able to, you know, put on regular clothes in like season three or four or whatever. But yeah, that show was not great, but we still watched it and I could still sing some of the theme song. I'm not going to, but I could. Yeah, it's. Oh, my goodness. That show. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So small wonder. Um, Uh, Another, you know, going back to the 80s and and, um, big screen and small, you know, the, the wonder of 80s sitcoms. 
Yeah. And how, you know, incredibly, you know, incredibly bad they could be. It was how many, <laughs> how many different ways can we find to basically tell the same stories? Right. You know, and so yeah. the small wonder show, the only difference was they went through all the regular sitcom tropes, except they had a robot that they needed to keep secret, you know, and, <laughs> and she could pick up couches and she could, uh, you know, mimic people's voices and. So don't write that one down. Don't run out <laughs> to find it. Um, I don't although... have to. I remember now. <laughs> but maybe that would be our next thing. I mean, we, we don't have enough MCU stuff. We should like do a, a small wonder spinoff podcast, right? Right. Yeah, we're going to get around to that. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, certainly. Um, that's on our list now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they, so, but, but in the, in the whole, that whole situation, Mac and Yo-Yo have a nice gunfight with a Quinjet and <laughs> Colson and May, this is probably our last thing for us to talk about. And be, before we move on to the listener feedback is Colson and Maybot. Uh, nobody knows that May is actually an LMD, a robot, not even Maybot. Uh, it's, I I don't think she even knows they film it like she does at the beginning. They film it like she has an, uh, an agenda at the beginning, but when it comes down to it, she goes, uh, Coulson is knocked out by Ada as, as Ada is looking for the dark hole and may says, you're not going to get the dark hole. You have to go through me. Now this is not may, this is may. LMD may and then Ada just freezes her in her tracks remote control and cuts open her face <laughs> to to install a, a camera so she can see and hear everything that Maybot sees and hears I'm I'm confused at one point I wondered if maybe the May that was in the closet was actually the LMD and that this other May wasn't but th- that didn't make sense it, but it also didn't make sense that they would act like she has an agenda at the beginning when they're talking about getting rid of the dark hold. But then the way that she interacts with Ada when there's no one around uh, doesn't make sense to me unless that she is programmed. You know, she's a sleeper agent. She's programmed to act like May. And that means she's acting like May and she doesn't know uh, that she's an LMD. I don't know. It, I don't know. I think, I, I think, well, you, she's, she's, she's programmed to do as she's told. Um, so if you tell her always act like may and never break that role, that's what she's going to do. Um, and she's not going to vary from it. I mean, yeah, so, I, possibly, yeah. uh, I just figured she'd, I mean, I would have expected verbal commands from Ada. Uh, hey, you need to find out Darkhold. Where is it? And then let me know. Um, so I wonder how much interaction she's having with Coulson. That's as far as the Maybot is concerned. She's she's having this interaction with Coulson because she believes she's May. And yeah, it, yeah. it, it adds layers, but only if they execute it well from this point out. Yeah. But that conversation about 
playing poker. Mm-hmm. That was odd for me. Um, Colson saying he doesn't like he doesn't take risks <laughs> yeah. makes no sense. That is that is against his character. That's like all he does. That's all, yeah, that's his job is to take risks. <laughs> and he's good at it too. Yeah. <laughs> Why did they write that? That was either that was intentional, and he's on to Maybot, or and he was playing along. Or that was really poor writing. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if there's there's a certain level of intentional badness to the dialogue, I think, on May's part. Because May is trying to steer the conversation. And you can see now she is working with this agenda. I just don't know if she realizes she is or if it's because of programming. You know, that's that's kind of pushing her in that direction. And she still thinks she's May. She just has these this nudging toward toward revealing where the dark hold is. Um, But right. uh, I I think there's some intentionality there with May with Coulson. It doesn't make sense to have intentional. um, Bad dialogue. Because I don't think he's on to her because he totally reveals where the dark hold is. If he's on to her, he would just keep quiet. And just be like, you'll, you know what? Trust me, you'll know when you need to know. And instead, he just out and out says it. And I'm thinking, okay, it's a double cross. She's going to get there and it's not there. No, it's there. It's totally there. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing too. I'm, I'm wondering maybe Colson wanted to see where this was going to go. I, and I, I think Colson is, is cool. a risk. That I, is a risk taking move. Yeah. I just think he is completely completely um, clueless right now as to the situation with May. I think he's happy that May is happy and isn't questioning that she's happy. Like four seasons, she hasn't been happy until now. I'm glad she's happy. (laughs) And (laughs) instead of, wait, why is she happy? This doesn't make sense yet. So yeah, but Colson's smarter than that. I mean, come on. I I think he has been he's being played, though. I, I think that the whole thing with May right now is I, I don't think he has any clue. I don't yeah, think, I don't think he has any clue. Yeah, well, we'll have to see either way. I mean, I, I, I don't want to side on this issue. I, I want to see how it unfolds. Oh, I'm, you need to side yeah. on this issue. Side on it. No, I won't side on it. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, don't side on it. Fine. I'm siding on it. I don't think he knows. Okay. But I'm not siding on May. I uh, on May bot anyway. I don't know what she knows. I don't know what she's programmed for. I'm a little bit confused there. But aside from some confusion about May and then the whole double double twist with Radcliffe, I think this is a fantastic episode. Yeah. I, I really do. And as for the uh, the second um, Ada, I you know a computer soul is software, um, and of course he's going to have a backup of her. So when they destroyed the uh, the first Ada, all he had to do was bring out her backup body and upload the backup memories from. Yeah. 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 I mean, they kind of play it though. As far as Shield is concerned, there's one Ada. 
and they right. had her in a place where she could not get online. I mean, they Ultron her. It was the same thing that happened right. with, with an age of Ultron where he is in a place where he can't upload his body anymore. And so when they take out the last of the bodies that are there, uh, he's done. And they, they, they totally Ultron her, him or her, but she, what, I got the impression from the dialogue at the end that she is not the original Ada and that the original Ada with the original programming was still with Radcliffe. That's, that's the impression that I got. Okay. But, um, yeah. And then our post credit was getting rid of the body. There's VJ. He's covering up in, in all of the, the, the cocooning glory, <laughs> um, setting up, our Inhumans series. I am excited to see where that's going to go. I really am. It'd be really interesting if the Inhumans series just completely took place on the moon and was just in that world. That and, would be interesting. And, yeah. and so, you know, like Guardians of the Galaxy, where, yeah, it's part of the MCU, but it's happening way over here. And they might visit because Avengers and Infinity War we're bringing them all together, but yeah, I think it'd be really interesting if they, or if they made it like a, a period piece where it takes place a thousand years ago. Oh, that could also be very interesting. Yeah. So, all right. Well, like I said, we have one piece of feedback. So what do you say? We take care of that right now. Okay. All right. Shield intelligence report. Okay. So our one piece of feedback for tonight or this morning, whenever you're listening to this, we have the one piece of feedback. Um, you know, time travels hard. And uh, this is from Agent Jeff. And his subject is, it's good to be back. And he says, Happy New Year, agents. This was a strong episode to get the rest of the season rolling. The interactions between Mac and Elena were some of the best comedy the show has pulled off in a while. Maybe it's because I grew up with all those 80s robot movies, but I liked that the comedy part of the show wasn't just the usual Coulson or Fitzsimmons. Max's line about the lawnmower man made me laugh out loud. While I usually get tired of shows that are a consistent string of unexpected nostalgia, this episode did it right. I was truly, it, it was truly unexpected when Mac came through the door and decapitated Ada. I am also very keen to LMD May not knowing she isn't human. I hope they write in some scenes where she behaves bizarrely for her character, letting Ming-Na flex her acting skills a bit. I also like that the Darkhold has brought out people's worst aspects. I was trying to remember if anyone looked into it, or was it just Ada and Radcliffe? Uh, if anyone else looked into it, or was it just Ada and Radcliffe? His impassioned speech to Fitz about murder was another highlight of this episode. I like that the Darkhold has amplified Radcliffe's desire for transhumanism. It makes the middle of season three seem so long ago. Lastly, the B-plot was very strong. When Mace and Daisy had the showdown in his office, I liked the emotional roller coaster that it went on between tension and trust. It is great that he's not taking everyone's word about her since they have zero history. And what will, VJ, will the VJ's power be? Maybe like Darwin from the X-Men? I don't think the show necessarily needs another speedster. And who is the superior? My money's on Blake. But maybe it's Ian Quinn. Or maybe even Franklin Hall. Remember him? Keep up the great work. And thanks for all you do, Jeff. Wow. 
So all I have to say to that is, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely agent Jeff, we are on the same wavelength and, um, thank you for writing in. And we, with that, I think we're, we're done. I, I think we have covered this episode and, I think I'm ready for the Patriot next time around. Now we don't normally talk about, you know, the the next on Agents of Shield stuff, so we're not going to start that trend now. But the title is the Patriot. What else could be? But the Patriot is he going to get in costume? Hmm. Well, I'd will, like to see that. Will you side on that one? Yes, I absolutely will. I'm siding on that one with a yes. We're going to see him in costume. We already saw yes. him in costume, but I think we're going to see him in costume calling himself the Patriot. I think we'll see him in a very different costume. Maybe a flashback. Maybe. Maybe a flashback to when he was working with Hank Pym. Yeah. I am totally <laughs> open to to learning his background. I am totally open to that. Well, it sounds to me like they just need to develop the character for you. Uh, and And... I'm I'm right there. I mean, all character development on Mace right now has been based for me on that picture in that comic book. Yeah. But and and his characterization in the show in the first part of the season has been completely I'm a politician. I'm going to do what mm-hmm. politicians do and it's been nothing but that. Yeah. But I when he's doing that I'm trusting him. And, you know, the team that trusts, I can't remember how it goes. But. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I I have trust issues generally with um, politicians anyways. Unless it's, it's, the, it's the guys that run my local town. They're awesome. And they are all for working for our town. So. All right. You have any final words? Final words to say before we close this one down and I go get in my warm bed which doesn't need to be that warm because we're just getting rain right now. <laughs> we have a, we're having a thunderstorm, a legit thunderstorm with thunder, lightning, and just lots and lots of rain. Okay. That means the, you're going to get snow soon. Maybe we're in the middle of January. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So with all that said, then I just want to say thank you for listening and thank you for joining us. Here in 2017. I have to think about it still. 2017. (laughs) Samantha, you have any final words? I was just wondering, have either one of you seen any movies in the last 30 years? Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcometolevel7 or connect with us on Twitter where we're level7pod. And remember, the 7 is spelled out. Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls, and you can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. And once again, thanks for listening. 
She's a small wonder. Pretty and bright with soft curls. She's a small wonder. A girl unlike other girls. She's a miracle, and I grant you, she'll enchant you at her sight. She's a small wonder. And she'll make your heart take flight. She's fantastic, made of plastic. Microchips here and there. She's a small wonder. Brings love and laughter everywhere.